welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Advanced Baseball Academy owner and ABCA Travel Committee member Luke Town. Town has been working with baseball and softball players for 33 years. Town is also an NFCA member. Town's been studying biomechanics since 2000. Advanced Baseball Academy trains baseball and softball players from ages 8 up through professional. They have over 400 athletes in their organization. Advanced Baseball Academy implements suicide and bully prevention training as soon as athletes join the organization. This is an impactful episode on how to introduce this type of training with your organization. Let's welcome Luke Town to the podcast. Doing good. <laughs> Oh, I love it. It's been a, it's been a crazy uh, couple crazy couple months trying to get this whole building stuff all put together. And pictures look great. Yeah, it's coming along. I've been building uh, two fields out out uh, behind us now, and and um, they're um, turf or natural. Had, it's gonna be natural. Uh, so I, I had I got two forty foot backstops behind it, so I've been putting those poles in the ground and. Started putting the fencing up around the perimeter. So, high school is softball and and baseball. Yes. So yes. high school size fields. Uh, so uh, no, the these fields are the smaller fields. We own another piece of property just east of here, that's got our full size fields on it for baseball for the high school baseball. Nice. So how many teams will you run through once you get those youth fields done? How many teams will you run through uh, there? Right now we're at thirty three. Uh, I probably won't go any higher than probably 35 or 36 just for, um, I'm not really after quantity. I'm after quality and I'm kind of stretched to my limit now with this amount of teams. I still run all the practices and all the training and stuff throughout the whole winter. And even in the springtime, I run one practice a week um, that I run it. So with, with every team. So I'm out there every night. That's what we do though. And we're coaches. All right, here with Luke Town, owner of Dance Baseball Academy, Stillwell, Kansas. Uh, trained softball and baseball players uh, for the last 28 years, actually, and so also ABCA Travel Committee member. So, Luke, good seeing you again. Hey, good seeing you, Ryan. Yeah, you, know, you got a lot going on right now, but when, when you first started this thing, I mean, what really drew you to a life of service? So, um, uh, 
this is my, this right now is my 33rd year of coaching. And um, so back, you know, I was coaching back in the nineties and early two thousands. And I started coaching at a high school in, um, in the mid two thousands. And um, the six years that I was there, there was seven kids in that school commit suicide. And um, absolutely broke my heart when I seen one of my former players laying in a casket. And so I started diving in deep, well, you know, what's, what's causing this? What's, you know, what, what's, what's, what's the underlying root problem here? And uh, so I, I decided that, um, you know, I was part of the problem. I realized that then I was a transactional coach. I wasn't really a transformational coach. And so I started, I read a book by Joe Ehrman called Inside Out Coaching. I love that book. book. It's an awesome book. Anybody listening in, if you haven't read that book, I read it uh, when I was coaching at at Western. Uh, If you haven't read that book, read it. It's it's amazing. And uh, so that's the first time I heard those terms. And so I started doing a deep dive into that. Um, then I started doing a, a deeper dive, you know, first off, I had to change what I was doing. And then I realized that the mindset, a lot of the parents was very transactional. Uh, there was, there's little room for mistakes. There's little room for errors in our, what was our kids and they're expected to be perfect at such a young age. And so I started diving into the perfectionism issues of it. And, um, a lot of my research and stuff was well, numerous psychologists, psychiatrists, sports psychologists. Um, a lot of it leads back to, uh, perfectionism and so in our program we really tackle the mental health of the program so for here it's physical mental and emotional is the the things that we're really focusing on with those seven kids did it all happen kind of right in a row with them yeah there was there was seven kids in that school at one time in that year because it seems Uh, like it just it, it, it not that it's contagious but it just seems like once the first one goes then the other dominoes are going to fall for whatever reason with, with teenage kids yes and, and i think that's a lot of the case i think it becomes they they see it as an outlet there was there was things though that the um that i think a lot of people do they don't realize they're doing but they they kind of memorialize and those kids a little too much um i mean in that school they were planting trees and putting plaques on them so they I'm like, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think we're sending the wrong message to kids that are still alive. And I think we're sending the wrong message, but and that was just my opinion of it. But I, I just didn't like how it was going. And, and, you know, dealing talking to a lot of psychologists, this is not an uncommon uh, problem at all. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. I coached a player at Iowa. Sort of been in the mid 2000s or later, close to 2010. But his high school in in Des Moines area, same thing. It was like they were dealing with it over and over and over again. It just got to be a thing mm-hmm. where just kids left and right were were killing themselves. Yeah, you know, there's there's other places around the country. It seems like there's hot spots that kind of pop up. Um, here, not too long ago, there was a, in Utah. There was a, I have a friend out there who coaches and uh, he was talking to me. He goes, I, I want to implement some of the stuff you're doing in your program. How, how do how do I do that? How do I go about doing it? I'm like, well, what's going on? He goes, there are a lot of kids out here committing suicide right now around the Salt Lake City area. And I'm like, uh, well, this is what we do. Uh, this is how we approach our program. This is a breakdown in it. And, uh, you know, a lot of it comes with what, you know, our kids are expecting of themselves. Um, you know, especially, you know, 12 year olds. I mean, I was, geez, there's just a 12 year old kid here not too long ago that took his own life. Um, they can't deal with adversity at all. Um, I, I had an issue this year and uh, in February in our winter training camps, uh, I run a thing called the infield boot camp. And, um, one of my, my, uh, 10 year old, uh, girls teams, uh, some of the parents were a little bit, um, 
perturbed with me and agitated with me because I promote it as a very hard camp to complete. You know, I tell them straight up, it's not a, hey, this is not a, a basket weaving class. This is a boot camp. You know, I'm going to push you outside your comfort zone. We're going to, we're going to check the, do a gut check, see what you got in it. So the dad was kind of freaked out. And he said, man, I don't, I don't like you really pushing my, my, my daughter. Like that. she's kind of freaked out about it. I said, well, what, what's wrong with that? I said, you haven't seen a camp yet. So you don't know what, I mean, obviously I'm not going to push 10 year old. It's always the fear of, it's the fear of unknowing oh, more than, than the actual doing part of it. And that's, and that's a big, big piece of it was, okay, so what's, uh, you know, he asked me what's entailed in it. And I said, well, look, let me put it to you this way. I'd rather your daughter have the confidence and in, in, in going through something that's hard now at 10 years old, than not being able to deal with it when she's 16. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, there was a girl not too long ago from one of the local schools uh, during the uh, December, she was coming into finals and she's a cheerleader. She's captain of a cheerleading team. And she was worried about her finals. She's worried about her grades if they were going to keep her from getting into her division one school that she wanted to go to. And she, you know, this has been her dream. And so as uh, she was worried about it and nervous about it and, and went out to a local bridge and jumped off the bridge and committed suicide. I said, look, by me pushing your daughter now and letting her know that she can complete hard, hard things, I said, that's how you build confidence. You can't sit there and tell a kid, now look, you need to be confident in yourself. No, you got to let them complete things to be to build confidence. Their um, kids I, aren't stupid. I, I helped with youth camp uh, last week with Scott Bankhead at the North Carolina Baseball Academy, and mm-hmm. you know I had ten to twelve year olds, and we were doing the same stuff for practice that we did with the college guys. And you know you could tell the parents are kind of looking in, and um, you know, and and I have high, I'm a high energy coach, but I'll bring them mm-hmm. along with me. But when they make mistakes, mm-hmm. that's fine too. But kids aren't dumb; like they know. They know if they're being handled with with kid gloves, or they know if they're yeah. being challenged. And kids want to yeah. kids want to see mastery too. I think that's where we've lost a little bit in the shuffle right now. Kids want to see themselves improve, and, and yes. they know if you're if you're dummying stuff down for them. They know if you're trying to make it easy for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I was telling dad. I said you can't just tell your daughter to be confident. She's going to earn it. The struggle is what makes them stronger. And, you know, we, and I think we're living in an age where we have a lot of permissive parenting uh, where we don't let them struggle. There's a, you know, the old term, the lawnmower parent, you know, we've all heard of it, uh, but there's a lot of it. And they, they tried, they're just trying to plow the, a nice path for them. Like, but ain't nothing wrong, wrong with walking through the snow, you know, let them, let them make their own path. And you said you have a documentary coming out. Yeah. So we, uh, um, I was asked by a, a company uh, called Film A, uh, if I'd be a part of the documentary. And so they're tackling the toxicity of the youth sports culture, um, you know, in all sports. And, uh, you know, it's becoming more rampant that, you know, we see parents acting out and up north here this wintertime, there's a basketball game, middle school basketball game, where they cleared the gym and uh, they told parents, you can't come back and watch. I'm like, man, how does that happen? Well, it's, it's becoming more rampant. And then, and, and so, this this uh, director reached out to me, and it's being funded by the Kansas City Royals and I believe the MLB and some uh, you know insurance companies, uh, Blue KC I think is involved in it, and so they just wanted to know what you know what we're doing. So one of our uh, parents works for the Kansas City Royals, and and uh, he said you know we'd like to we'd like to introduce them to you and what what you're doing with your program. Yeah, I'm I'm all, I'm I'm up to share. 
you know, the, the, the mission is the same for everybody. We're, we're trying to help the culture. And for anybody that hasn't watched uh, Youth Sports Inc., it's the HBO documentary on, on youth sports. This came out in like 2017, 2016. It's actually up on YouTube now. You can watch it. It dives into a lot of, of what's going on with youth sports right at every level uh, with youth sports. But, yeah, it's called Youth Sports Inc., a uh, really good documentary. Again, I watched that when I was coaching at Western Illinois, but it's a, it's a wonderful documentary on, uh, and, and I think we're coming out of it a little bit now. It, it was geared more towards the millennial generation with the participation trophy epidemic that was going on. I don't think we see it as much with the Gen Zs. My, I have two Gen Z kids. I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old, so they're in that Gen Z. And I think with Gen Alpha, I think you're going to start to see a little bit of that that mental toughness start to come back with mm -hmm. I think with the new generation of parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm starting to see a little bit of it, like with our seven, eight, nine year old kids. I'm starting to see they're starting to get a little bit of that fortitude to them, and and um, if they're, they're starting to see the bigger picture of it. I, I'm still seeing a lot of um, you know with and not, you know because our 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 program obviously travels. You know, with our high school kids travel, and I'm still seeing you know, blips of it here and there where the, you know, the parents are overly involved. Um, there, you know, there, there's too much emphasis on scholarships at younger ages. I still, you know, I still seen a problem with kids freaking out at fresh, you know, eighth graders or freshmen in high school that they don't have, they're not verbally committed somewhere. And Hey, and the new rules are going to change. I said it the other day, oh. like the new rules that are coming out, I think is going to help tremendously mm -hmm get people to pump the brakes, parents and players, because they're not going to be able to talk to anybody until mm -hmm. basically August 1st going into their junior year. I, I think it's mm -hmm. a huge positive change in the right direction with recruiting because yeah. the college guys didn't want to do what they're doing either. The college softball and baseball, yeah. the coaches didn't yeah. want to do. They just felt like they were forced to because yeah. there wasn't any legislation put on it. And now that we're getting some legislation passed, I think it's going to get a, allow everybody to take a breath and pump the brakes on the recruiting process. No, there's there's two there's there's kids that are you know 13, 14, 15 years old that are pushing too hard. Their bodies aren't prepared to do what an 18 year old kid can do, and so they're 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 putting a lot of strain on their bodies. They're 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 not getting enough time to recover, rest, um, and they're 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 pushing themselves too hard. You know, and there's a reason why that. You know, our brains are more developed to handle situations at 18 than they are at 15. Or 25. So, yeah, absolutely. Got a lot of growing between zero to 25. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just just getting them to pump rate. I was with the uh, couple committees with the NFCA for the fast pitch side. And when all that changed over there, and uh, I've been a big advocate of it for the baseball side. Because the boys are going through the same thing the girls are going through. And the softball side, they were trying to recruit 12-year-olds. Like, how do you know what a 12 year old, how do you know what kind of player they're going to be at 18 when they graduate high school? And, you know, there's just a lot of poison that was going along with that. Um, kids that were early verbally committing as freshmen, you know, they, they pumped the brakes and um, then, you know, they don't, they, they pull themselves out of the market. They, they're not staying in contact with coaches. They're not looking at other places. And then, you know, come their senior year, when it's time to sign a letter of intent, they, um, it's not there. You know, the coach says, well, we don't, we, we found somebody better or you didn't develop the way we wanted you to. And so those kids are now like, well, you, you've taken yourself out of the, out of the game. And now, now what are you going to do? So, Hey, when just, my, my program, I just don't let them do that. 
When you're running your youth tournaments, how are you handling pitch count stuff? Because I know, you know, we're starting to shine a light a little bit more on on overuse with youth pitch tournaments. And I mean, I have my theories on kid pitch. Uh, I, I have, and I know everybody does, and you've been in our meetings at the mm-hmm. convention. How are you handling kind of the pitch count stuff with your youth tournaments? So in USSA, um, for any, any stuff we're playing with them, you know, they say you can throw eight innings. In my program, we don't count innings, we count pitches. And, um, I, you know, I'm a big arm guy too. You know, I've worked a lot with Ron Wolfers, Randy Sullivan, guys all over the country, and I'm really into the biomechanics of throwing. And um, you got to you gotta maintain that pitch count. I think so, you know, even I said the it the school, other day too. I said even if I was going to coach a youth team, even if we were playing in a tournament that was innings, I'm still going to mm-hmm. run my team off pitch count. I don't care what the uh, tournament rules say. I'm yep. still running it off pitch count, and I'm going to use the same model I used with our college guys, one pitch, yep. one hour of rest for every pitch thrown. So if they throw 15 mm-hmm. pitches, 15 to 20, they're going to get a day off the next day. And mm-hmm. I, I know even Pitch Smart doesn't have it in that either. Yeah. But I don't care yeah. what the tournament rules say. I'm running my program how I want to run my program. And that's what we do. So, you know, at and it's a ramp-up system here. So, at you know, right now in Kansas City, it's chilly. Um, you know, temperatures in the 40s and 50s degrees. I said, hey, man, that, those kids shouldn't be throwing no more than no more than 30, 40 pitches right now. Look, look, we, you know, we've, we've got 12-man roster. We've got, you know, five, six pitchers. Let's throw them. And then if we run out of pitching at the end of the weekend, so I have a hard count for the weekend, not just per day, but I have a hard count for the weekend. I said, they hit their pitch count. That's okay. So if we have to pull out of the tournament, who cares? I mean, we're not out here shooting for trophies anyway. You know, let's let's figure out something else. So yeah, I'm, I told that story on Twitter. Yeah, I, I really didn't do much with my son outside of practice. Like, I, I really didn't want to – I wanted other people to coach my son. So I would help with mm-hmm. practice, but then we did do the PBR Junior Futures game a couple years, and we got deep into that tournament, and I was tracking pitch counts for all of our guys, and I knew we were out of pitching, and we got to the semis – I called the tournament director, who was a really good friend of mine, before our semi-game. I said, hey, if, if, we're, if we win, we're done. Like, I'm not, I'm not throwing a 12-year-old anymore. Like, I don't care about mm-hmm. winning this tournament. And he was yeah. like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I'll deal with the parents as a college coach. I will mm-hmm. talk to mm-hmm. the parents afterwards if we win that we're going home just for the safety of their kids. Yeah. I, I think a lot of parents appreciate that. Now, in the heat of the battle, they're they're fired up. Oh, we got a chance to win it. I'm like, well, what do we win it? A t-shirt, you know? What do we what do we really win it? You know, I, I I would just rather like, hey, let's just let's live to play another day. That's what I think. So yeah, you're gonna thank me when your your son or daughter is still able to play at 18 yeah. and and still healthy at, at 19 or 20, whenever they're done, yeah. that they don't have any health issues. One for your insurance. Your insurance is gonna thank you, but. Yeah for the longevity of them having a healthy life and being able to play catch with their own kids or coach or do whatever. Again, mm-hmm. we, we've got to, we've got to zoom out here and take that 10,000 foot view of what's actually really important here right now. Um, I know yeah. in the immediate and, and what I always saw with, with my son and daughter when they were growing up for me, if a parent was really invested in the wins and losses, I just thought that they regretted how their athletic experience went as a kid. That's what I mm-hmm. always equated yeah. it. And that might ruffle yeah. some feathers right now. For me, it was yeah. the noontime basketball guys that were out there every day. For me, I'm like, they regretted something along the way with their with their athletic experience. And now they're, they're pushing that yeah. off on their own kids, which is not a right yeah. thing to do as a parent. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I had a kid, um, one of my seniors, he's a lefty, um, good pitcher. He's committed. Um, he had a pronator Terry strain. And um, so, you know, during the wintertime, we kind of nursed it back together. And, and he's not ready to go out and throw, you know, high high number of pitches right now. You know, I said, look, man, you, you, you know, I, I get playing high school ball right now. And I, I mean, I'm completely for it, 100% supportive of it. But you're going to have to limit your, your pitch count. You're going into the season, I'm in 30, 35 pitches, man. You need to start, you know, hey, right now my pitch count coach is at 30, 35 pitches. And let's just amp back up to this and let's work our way back into it before you get to next fall and you have to report to your college. And uh, the, the second or third outing, he threw 105 pitches. And I just, man, you know, dude, we've had to talk about this. He goes, wow, the, I, the, the coach wanted, wanted to win the game. He wanted me to stay in there. I said, man, you got you to go over to the coach. Go, I'm done. Warm somebody up. I, I said, that's more your responsibility as a coach. Is don't pass that up on the coach. You was in the heat of the moment, too. You were trying to get out there and compete. And I get it. And, and coaches also, listening in, like, you have to be wary of this, too, because, again, there's going to start to be lawsuits that come out on, on stuff like this. As a coach, if you don't know – how to on-ramp kids and how to bring them back after injuries, eventually that's going to fall on you. We had a kid at Iowa. Our first recruiting class at Iowa was tremendous. Kid had a great arm. He was 88 to 90 as a junior, really good breaking ball. Breaking ball was 80 to 82, but was a little dinged up. And in Iowa, they play summer baseball, but he did not pitch the entire summer. They shot him up with cortisone, and he threw 100 pitches after a shot of cortisone. No bullpens or anything. He did not throw a pitch ever again. He was done. Uh, the doctor that went in and did his, his shoulder surgery said it was the worst shoulder he had ever seen. He said there was gray dead tissue in his shoulder because of the lack of an on-ramp and just shooting a kid up and then just tell him, to, hey, go pat him on the butt and, and go out there. That's criminal. That's, that's a It is criminal. It's it's. it's that's, you know, and, there, and there's so much, you know, invested with these kids mentally, emotionally, um, and then financially um, that they get to that situation. And you got one jackass that pulls something like this and the kid's done, you know, and what, what, what the only thing he can do now is say, what it could have shut up. And so I, I think we need to continue to educate our, our younger kids and our parents at a younger age. Like, look, you know, it's, it's, when, in this tournament is not gonna is not gonna get you a scholarship. You know, I tell my kids, I tell my my parents, my parents, and my kids all the time. Look, man, there's no scouts out here watching these twelve year olds. Okay, there's, there's stop thinking there is. There's not a there's not a showcase for twelve year olds. Let's just let them go out and play the game and have fun. Let's teach them the fundamentals of the game. I mean, four simple things that I try to get my kids to understand. You want to be elite. There's four things you got to do: catch the ball better than everybody else, throw the ball better than everybody else, hit the ball, and move. You got to be able to move. And, and I was like, yeah, let's work on those four things and let's just keep it simple. And um, let's just focus on the fundamentals. But most importantly, have fun. It's it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And, and cultivate as a parent, cultivate their wanting to master skills by themselves too, with their, their time alone, you know, cultivate that piece <laughs> and whatever your kids are into cultivate that piece of, of wanting to do it. And you'll know if, if your kids, if your kids are into softball or baseball, you'll know it because they'll want to do stuff on their own or they'll ask you to go outside and play or they'll want to get in the facility and come train in the facility. Like you'll know if a kid's into it or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, I got a lot of kids that play multiple sports and in a young age and the parents asked me how I feel about that. I said, I say they play, I say they play multiple sports. They, they don't really know. I mean, you got to follow your passion until you go out and, 
I'm not a soccer guy, but a lot of kids like playing soccer. If you like playing soccer, play soccer. It's my favorite it's sport. Not, it's my favorite yeah, sport. It's, it's, I love soccer more than baseball. Yeah. I'm better at baseball uh, at the end. Got guys that play competitive baseball, they play year-round basketball. And, and um, yeah, I, I tell them, I say, you do have to, you, you know, I gotta, you got to pump the brakes a little bit of how many sports they're playing at one time, though, because uh, I see a lot of 10-year-olds that are – I got kids right now that are playing – uh, flag football they're playing on two competitive soccer teams baseball and they're on a basketball and they're like when does he have time to be a kid you know when does he have time to just go ride bikes when he has time to go hang out with his buddies or go to the pool and you know, recover like physically that. absolutely pro, pro athletes <laughs> aren't doing more than than what their sport is doing in that season you don't see an nfl player trying to play the nba in season like you just don't see it i don't know yeah how we got to that point with youth sports where people started to decide that that was a good thing for kids because you don't see it at the pro level either. No, I, you know, I, I think that with, uh, you know, some of our youth guys, I'm like, you know, look, it's, it's great to go play these things, but not everyone has to be a club or everyone's competitive. You know, I, I just had a conversation with a parent here recently and I said, look, I, I don't think your kid wants really needs to be playing competitive baseball at a club level. Uh, because of the, the time commitment to it, the kid loves soccer, man. I said, just go play, go play recreation ball. There's, there's a lot of fun there. There's, there's a lot of good experience he's going to get from that. But, you know, right now he's leaning towards soccer. Let's, let's pull him back a little bit. You know, the, the mental, you know, the, 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 I was doing this with the NFCA um, in one of the travel ball meetings that we have with the, with the coaches and, and somebody was bragging about their kids was their team. Thirteen-year-old girls were playing 115 games in a in a year, and I'm like, oh my god! So you know that not only is there repetitive use injuries, but there's also mental burnout. Yes. And I told him, I said, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'll be surprised. A lot of your girls are still wanting to play softball when they turn 15, 16, 17. And I try to refer refer to it like this: If I fed you a steak dinner, your favorite meal, and I fed it to you every single day. Tell me how sick and tired of a steak dinner you're going to be after six months. So if you don't give them a break from them, they don't get time to recover. That's, it, they're, they're not going to stick to it. If, if, you, if you really want your kid to, to uh, really enjoy the sports experience, youth sports experience, they need to go away hungry a little bit. They, they need to end the season going, man, I want to play more. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, having that hunger to play ball. You and I growing up, you know, we played baseball in the spring and summer. You know, I couldn't wait to dig out and blow the dust off of stuff and couldn't wait to get it out. Nowadays, you know, kids are playing year round. Um, and I get the training part of it, but man, you just gotta, you gotta take a break from the game so much, you know, playing 115 games, is not going to make you a better athlete. Yeah. The training part in the off season needs to be developing long-term athlete development pieces, moving better, getting stronger, yeah. getting more flexible. That's what the off season yeah. training piece needs to be. And, yeah. and, and maybe develop, you can get in a cage and hit all you want. Like that, that's yeah. not, that's not yeah. going to wear you out. But yeah. um, well, for here, I try to make it fun. You know, I, you know, we, we have 14 tunnels here in this new building. And when the, when the parents come in, they're, they're part of the program. So we don't charge them anything extra for the tunnels. I want their parents to come in and just have fun with them. I'm like, look, if you want to, you want to book a tunnel, you want to reserve a tunnel, come in and play, go out there. I'll, I'll help you set up a, the L screen. I'll teach you how to throw BP to your, to your kid, you know, and don't give them any instructions, you know, just go, man, I really, I really tell you you've been working, make it fun. If it's not fun, they're going to find something else. To do. You know, somebody asked me one time, uh, 
uh, why, why, do, why do kids play some video games? Is well, a lot of the parents don't know anything about them. That's why. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wrote an article about, I wrote an article. I said, hey, I, in this article, I wrote, how to get your kid to stop playing video games. So I said, first off, you know, pull the video game console out of their out of their bedroom and bring it into the main living room. Buy the biggest, best TV you can buy. The biggest surround sound system. You know, you got to have the best of the best or it just ain't worth doing it. I said, and make them practice and make sure while they're practicing, you sit there with them and you coach them up while they're practicing, you know, and then plan this big event and, and get a lot of the parents to, you know, a lot of family members to come watch. Okay. Little, little Billy's going to be playing live on Friday night. Come on. We're going to have a big shindig. Hell, make it a barbecue, make it a picnic, make, bring everybody over while he's playing the game, ridiculing when he makes a mistake. Oh, you took the wrong turn. Oh, you did this ridiculing. And then afterwards, you know, after everybody leaves, you know, turn around to Billy and go, you know, I really pumped you up on this. I'm very disappointed how you performed. You embarrassed your mom and I out there today. Just do that a few times. They'll quit playing video games just like they quit playing sports. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, my son growing up, we had a Wii, you know, we had, a, we had an Xbox later on, but it's funny, the games that he and I would play that I beat him, he didn't want to play too many of those uh -huh. games after yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when my my, uh, my son's 25, and I remember when they were playing video games. I'm like, you got Donkey Kong, man? I don't know how to play this. <laughs> They're trying to teach me. I'm like, you know, I'm an old dog. I'm old. Just, this is your sport, man. You do this. How are you streamlining communication with your parents and your your players in your program throughout the year? Um, I do it through TeamSnap. Um, that's our main source of communication. Uh, there's other formats that that are out there we we've looked into, but you know we we hooked up a team snap uh, years ago and we just stuck with them. Um, but they're I I like what they do. I like how the the how easy it is to communicate with. If I need to send out a message, a text message just to the team, I can go right to their profile as the administrator. Go right to their and so can the coach. But I can go right to their and send them a message. Hey, we got rained out, or hey, we're in a delay. Um, and then I can also send out the emails and stuff about what we're doing. It's easy to access for the communication uh, access of what our practices are. What got you interested in studying biomechanics? Um, I got hurt in college uh, myself. Um, so I had a, a labrum tear and uh, the supraspinatus tear in my shoulder. And um, I wanted to find out why I got hurt. You know, my, my fastball jumped when I was 17 years old. Um, I got in a fight, imagine that. Um, and I broke, I had a boxer's break on the little finger. And uh, for six weeks, I walked around with the cast on like like this, and I couldn't do anything. They took that cast off, put another one on. And I, I, I learned how to throw a softball with a cast on. And that was kind of my, I didn't realize that that was kind of a jump, a springboarding into biomechanics. And so uh, my body reorganized itself to complete the task back then. And I didn't know it. Um, but my velocity went from, you know, six weeks of throwing with a cast on my velocity went from 81 to 90 and, um, got into college and a lot of my mechanics were changed to things that my body naturally wanted to do. Um, they went against what my body felt, what it wanted to do. So I ended up getting injured in about 2000. I started, uh, really doing a head and nose dive into biomechanics, kinesiology, but how the body moves, how they, how they respond to each other. And what our body wants to do naturally, you know, you pick up something heavier and throw it, the body reorganizes itself to throw something heavier than it does something lighter. And so that's where I really got into it. I was fortunate enough to, I've met some great people, Tom House, uh, Ron Wolfers, uh, Randy Sullivan. Uh, Who was the I'm first one like of that. that crew that you reached out to? Ron, Ron Wolfers. Ron, Ron, Ron is a, 
I mean, he's really a smart guy. And um, he's and the thing I like about Ron is that he brings in other people in different areas and he keeps compiling the science. Um, you know, the first time I met Franz Bosch was, uh, I mean, that guy was just, I mean, he was, I've been in this 10 years and that guy was talking so far above my head. I was just like, I looked around the room. I'm like, am I the only idiot in here? I don't understand what he's saying. But uh, my college uh, roommate so I, worked with the pirates. And so he was doing a lot. So he would come, Jamie would come to the office and he'd bring France stuff with him. And, We'd start diving yeah. into it. I'm like, ooh, buddy, that's a lot. Yeah. A lot. Can, 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 can started, we take some of those terms and figure out how to put them in baseball terms? Like, that, <laughs> no, that's the biggest thing for me. Like, it makes sense, but how can we figure out how, what those terms are and can we put them in baseball yeah. terms? Yeah. You know, when I was working, you know, I, I learned a lot about co-contractors and how the body needs a fire. And so it's really hard to translate that to a 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old. And so, uh, you know, finding those things, like I use a rubber band trick, you know, I just talk about, hey, how our muscles need to have, have that mobility and elasticity to them. Just think of your body as a rubber band. Right now, you're a thin rubber band. We want you to be a thick rubber band, but, you, but you're, you're not going to be able to perform without that mobility. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's a big, huge, I, here in our program too, we, you know, I hired a strength guy that was trained under Cressy. He did an internship with Cressy out of Florida. And, uh, Eric's got, you know, three degrees in exercise science, biomechanics, kinesiology. And, uh, but I think the stuff he learned from Cressy was, was very beneficial. So even our younger guys, you know, we don't really start on the weights, you know, we're not really moving uh, weight. We're, we're using some resistance training, uh, but mostly it's just a movement, you know, and understanding your movements first. And so we spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. Squat hinge, you know, you, you don't have to have weight to teach yeah. a kid how to do all those. Things. No, no, no. No, I mean, you know, watching a kid squat a piece of PVC pipe and, uh, you know, their legs are sore the next day, <laughs> you're just moving your own body weight, you know, and it's understanding how to move, learning how to do things correctly at a younger age, I think it's more important. Agility, you know, I, I think um, with the kids playing different sports, than that, those, those things bleed over into their overall athleticism and their ability. So, I mean, that's why I encourage you guys to play multiple sports. And uh, I know a lot of college coaches prefer that their kids play multiple sports, um, but you know, just keep teaching them how the body to move and things like that. You know, baseball is a more skill specific thing with, you know, glove, footwork, hand, eye coordination, that type of thing. Um, but uh, it's, it's a, uh, um, it's just a learn, there's a learning curve there that without that athleticism background that it's a lot easier to do when you can move, you know. Is there any difference? I, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you for people listening in. Is there any difference between the baseball and softball training? No, not at all. I don't. Uh, the, the only thing biomechanics or biomechanics, uh, throwing and, and hitting biomechanics or biomechanics. I, I don't teach the fast pitch stuff. I have fast pitch coaches that teach the fast pitch pitching. I don't I don't understand the biomechanics of it. It goes against what I understand for the overhand throw. But we have girls that uh, I had a girl. She's in college right now in northern Colorado. And she's uh, she throw a baseball 84, 85 mile an hour. Um, and a soft, you know, softball, but she went through all the, the training there the same way with hitting. Um, you know, I see a lot of, uh, there's a lot of changes going on in the NFCA too, with, with some of the, the thinking you're seeing more, more and more coaches following, uh, stuff they're doing in baseball. And I mean, you know, it's the same thing it's the same sport. And I see baseball guys learning stuff from the softball coaches, you know, and that's the way it should be. You know, it should be a, a brotherhood and sisterhood right there of those, of that combined. Cause it is about, it's the same sport. It's just, it's just. Fast pitch is a little bit faster game, you know. Um, 
It's a modified oh. feel and a modified ball. So it that's is a difference. It is. Yeah. You know, the only, I always tell the guys that said, uh, you know, I had a kid jump in last night and hit off one of my 14 year He's a freshman and you know, they're at, they're at 43 feet. And so he wanted to jump in and see if he could hit this pitch and first pitch he threw, he hit the glove and he didn't even wiggle the bat off his shoulder yet. And I said, it gets on you pretty quick. Don't it? <laughs> and it, it was, it was fun because the girls were all harassing him. You know, of course he comes in there really cocky and he comes out and he gets done. He just does his sluter a little bit and says, oh, that's pretty good. He goes, I don't think I could hit a rice pitch. I'm like, well, he goes, coach, what's the best way to hit a rice pitch? I said, don't miss the fastball. Yeah. Don't that's swing at I, it. Good luck. Don't swing at it. <laughs> I mean, Jenny Finch made Barry Bonds look awful. Oh my God! She made yeah. Jenny, she made Barry Bonds look awful. Best best I've we've ever had in the game. She made oh him look awful. Yep, yep. Those eyes haven't gotten used to seeing. Well, that's Rogers in the big leagues now. Guy throws yeah. who pitched at Austin P. His slider goes up, which uh, is impossible for guys to hit because you don't ever see a pitch like that move up like that. No, uh-uh. no, it's crazy. It is crazy. Hey, how can we help parents and, and youth coaches have a healthier perspective? I think you have a great hand on what all this should mean. And I, I look at like rankings now and that, nothing on the rankings organizations out there. I mean, it is what it is, but why, why even look at any of that stuff as a, a youth parent or coach or player? I, I don't think they should ever look at the rankings and stuff like that. I mean, it has, it's, there, there's so many things that are changing their body where a kid's ranked at 12 year old. What, what if he's an early developer and you know, he, he stopped, he may be six foot at, at uh, or five foot 10 at 12 years old, but he doesn't grow another inch. It doesn't mean that he's a prospect. It doesn't mean that he's a, a guy. I said, I don't think that, I don't, I really discourage all my parents from doing that stuff. I discourage my parents from tracking stats. Um, like if we want to track something, that's a good thing to track for hitting track quads. We have eight of them. We have eight quads that I think you should follow. You know, another thing too is I see a lot of uh, been specifically in baseball and softball that a lot of parents are tracking. You know, the the trophies and uh, in my program, a walk is a bad bad word here. You know, we're not here to walk. Don't put the bat on your shoulder. We're you know we're going to swing the bat. You, you want a chance to play college sports? They're not looking for guys to put the bat on your shoulder. I, I got a kind of a joke. I go, I've never had a college coach walk up to me and goes, Well, you know, he's got a good eye. What the hell does that mean? You know. No, we want to see you swing the bat. Even good eye miss- is a pitch in the zone and they square it up. That's that's a good eye. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, there's terms in baseball that drive me crazy. Like I hear I hear it at the youth all the time, like a walk's a hit. I'm like, well, actually it's not. There's a hell of a difference between hitting the ball, making contact with it, squaring it up and putting it out there in the grass. There's a huge difference between that and ball four. We you know well, youth camp last week, I'm throwing coach pitch at the end. And it never fails. I throw one down the middle, which doesn't happen all the time. But yeah. t- kid takes it. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, my coach doesn't want me to swing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw another one in here. Now you're going to be 0-2. And, and it was. Yeah. Like, I threw another one in there. Yeah. He swung and missed. I'm like, now you're 0-2. I'm like, you should be out of there already. Like, you got to yeah. meet yeah. one down the middle first pitch. Like, get, it, get yeah. out of there so you don't have to go to two strikes. I, I think, too, that with parents is I think when you're picking out an organization, I think you spend some time talking to the coach, find out their philosophy. Um, I, I get parents that question me, like, well, what's your overall philosophy? You know, well, my why is to transform lives. My why is not to build college athletes. You know, we use baseball as a tool to teach life skills. Um, I tell them straight up that, hey, we focus on the physical, mental, and emotional. And there are that all three are different. Now, all three inter- are interchangeable. But, you know, I think a lot of people focus too much on the physical side of it and don't spend enough time on the mental side of it. 
And um, we've spent a tremendous amount of effort here on the, I have a sports psychologist. It's one of my coaches. And so we're always talking about what can we do? I have a program in the wintertime that I literally take time out of practice. So we have an hour and a half practice for each team for on the weekends uh, during the winter training. Um, and then that last half hour is a program called bold and bold is stands for brave on life's decisions. And so our brave on life's decisions sessions, we talk about all kinds of things from, um, from, uh, you know, perfectionism stuff to bullying at school to, and we open up doors and uh, the, I get a lot of feedback from the parents you know, when they're driving home, they're not so much talking about how practice went They're they're it's, it's a way to open up that conversation. So that parent can have that conversation with their kid about that topic. We, we talk about drugs, narcotics. I got a DEA agent in the program. Uh, so I have him come in and, and speak to the kids about, um, you know, the dangers of fentanyl and, and how all the different types of things going out there, the alcoholism. Uh, we talk about anything. And, um, you know, I, I've told people before, I'm more than glad to share what our curriculum is uh, for that bowl program, because I think it's a, it's a pivotal thing in our program that helps the parents get on board with what it's really about. And uh, now do we play great baseball? You better strap it on when you play one of my teams because they're, they're ready to play. And, uh, but I think the difference is at the end of the game, win or lose, you're going to see a difference between how my parents act and how the. I've said it multiple times over the course of the last four years, though. If you take care of the other stuff for your athletes, the mental piece, the mental health piece, they are going to play better. They will play better. The byproduct of you worrying about them as a human being Mm and where they feel safe and seen, they will perform better. I guarantee they will perform better. Yeah. We, we have, um, I, I'm a big, you know, for the parents out there listening today, if there's one thing that I could really stress to you, teach your, your child to surrender the outcome, focus on the process and surrender the outcome. Uh, being outcome driven drives that perfectionism, uh, drives that mentality that I'm not the best. I'm, you know, I need to look, I have no problem with a kid wanting to be the best. That shows an internal motivation. Uh, but when the, all that motivation is being driven externally, your 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 child's not going to get out of it what they need to get out of it. You know, I have kids here that are internally driven, that that really have the desire. But it's funny when you watch them come in because they're they're happy. They're in their happy space when they're coming here to work out. Um, but the kids who are being externally driven on this, they're not as happy. You know, well, I have to be here. So we we have different things like one of our sessions is called get to have to. So we, we talk about when you wake up, go to school, is this a get to day or a have to day? You have to go to school or do you get to go to school? And a lot of that mindset needs to change a little bit. Uh, so that internal motivation, um, having a positive uh, approach to things, um, don't ridicule a child for making physical mistakes. You know, the only thing that we discipline for here is attitude and effort. Um, if you give me an attitude, I'm going to hold you accountable. I think the accountability piece is something that uh, you, you want a program that's going to hold your child accountable to the, to the standards and make sure those standards match up with what you want. How early are you introducing the bold program? What age groups are you starting with? Eight. We, we you start with eight. eight. Yeah. When it goes all the way to 18. And, but another thing I do too, is that my high school kids, they have a, a, an option to be a bold ambassador. And so during our bold sessions, we basically assign the ambassadors to a youth group. So, 
those guys now become mentors, you know, the girls and boys. And I have some of my girls that sit in with the boys baseball teams and vice versa. And some of the boys sit in with the girls softball teams. Uh, I want them to understand too, that it's all interchangeable, you know, uh, granted be with, uh, with the boys or certain way, the boys talk to boys and certain way girls talk to girls. But when you're having these bold ambassadors and you're getting both sexes in there, you're getting two different perspectives of the same thing. Those, those are handy. But it also with the high school kids, it te- it's teaching them to give back. It's teaching them to take pride in being a mentor. And it also raises their bar a little bit. Because I tell them, all right, you're going to be a bold ambassador, dude. You can't come in here and, and act like a, a clown in here. You know, you got to remember, you got you got younger kids watching you. They want to be where you where you are. So, that, so you're going to set a precedence for the future of what the programs looks like. So be careful what you do. Be careful what you say. Be careful your actions. And, uh, and it, I've seen a, a big, you know, thing about it. I've had college coaches ask me, goes, coach, what's a bold ambassador? And I have to explain it to them because they don't, they don't know it's a program that's with outside of us. It's not like, they're like, what the hell is that? So I explained it to them, you know, and I said, I think it's part of our character development piece um, with our bold program, but it's also very beneficial for the high school kids. I've seen a huge change in my 20 year old. He's going to school full time college, but he's also working full time now. And he's in a managerial mm-hmm. position where he's working at. And I've seen a huge mm-hmm. change in him. Now that mm-hmm. he's having to mentor people that he works with and train people, and he just—I've mm-hmm. seen a huge change in him. Yeah, I've always said that if you really want to teach teach kids the game, uh, let them coach. You know, so a lot of my high school guys will come out. What right now they're playing high school ball right now, so they don't really have the free time. But um, during our winter training stuff, during our, our fall, during our summer stuff, the kids come out uh, when they're not playing like during week 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 games and stuff. They'll come out with their team that they've been assigned to and they'll go out and help them. And uh, they'll go out there and, you know, take over coaching third base and, and uh, stuff like that. I, I think it's That's good. That's how I got and, hooked into it was helping yeah. youth camp when I was too old to, to go to my dad's youth camp anymore. I mean, that, that hooked mm-hmm. me into coaching early cause I was trying to coach five, six and seven year olds when I was 13 years old. Yeah. And that's like herding cats. <laughs> Well, the college guys that I work with during youth camp, they're like, how do you keep their attention? I'm like, just don't worry about it. Like move on to the next thing. Like just keep moving on to the next thing. They'll follow with you. Don't spend too much time on, on any one thing. Just keep moving on to the next thing. I always call it the attention span of a butterfly. Look, a butterfly. Oh, squirrel. So you gotta, you gotta just keep moving. And I, and I think like with our practices, no two practices ever look alike, but we're constantly mixing it up. Um, um, it constantly challenges them. We play a lot of games. Competition is a good thing. We like we're out there working on fly balls off of a, a junior hack attack right now, and and it's we're playing knockout, and it's funny how you know it's an the old games still work. Uh, the old oh, yeah, games we do. used to play in the sandlot yeah. still work. Knockout yeah. still works. Over the line still works. Yeah, pepper. 1,000 still works, whatever you're keeping yep. points for. All those yep. old games we used to yep. play in the sandlot because we didn't have anything else to do, all those old yep. games still work. And they look new to kids, too, because they've never played them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's funny when you say that because I'll say, hey, I got a great idea. We're, we're going to play this game. And you start playing. It's called knockout. And, and those little, little eight-year-olds are like, knockout? That sounds like fun. Well, what's it mean? You know, so you're explaining it to them. I'm like, okay. So if you drop the fly ball, you're out. You got to go stand over here. And the main remaining, you guys keep pickle competing. or hot box. I mean, I you know yeah. at, at the East Side Little League, when you were done playing, you would go play cut ball against the wall with your buddies, or you'd play pickle yeah. or hot box. 
you're learning relays. Yep. You didn't know you were working on relay, you know, rundowns, yep. but you're working on yep. rundowns, all those yep. skill sets. Like you can make all mm -hmm. that skill development stuff fun and play game yeah. and, and competitive. You can develop skills yep. and also develop competitiveness by making it fun, making all that stuff fun. Some of our, some of our teams, we have part of our uh, pregame dynamic warmup. When we, when we get done with our throwing, uh, we have, uh, you know, two lines and then we just start playing uh, communication drill where they run at each other and flip the ball and they have to call the flip. And, and so it just, uh, we're just teaching them how to run a hot box there, but it's, it's also getting their body moving, getting their body hot. And, and I'm like, look, it's so simple. Play catch, you know, catch the ball, throw the ball, just do those two things really good. And you're going to, you're going to be all right. <laughs> hey, with your youth, do you, do you play end of the year tournaments then with your youth teams? Do you build for something towards the end or is it just tournaments the same every weekend? Uh, so different teams, uh, different age levels do that. Um, like my high school guys, it's mostly just showcase events. And I'm not really, you know, I, I tell a guy straight up, I'm going to come to the showcase, but we're not staying for the championship game. We're going to play our four game showcase and we're going to take out because we've got some other things going on. But, our, but for our youth, we, we do want that to build. So they're working towards something, um, you know, an eye on the prize type of mentality, I think still important with the motivation side of the, the kids. Um, and then it's, it's, it's awesome to watch them at the beginning of like the spring, right where they're at right now and watch them how much they develop. And it gives you a chance to talk about where you, where you started from, you know, like for us, like the 10 year olds, well, we're working right now with the controlling the running game, better understanding pickoffs, um, you know, pitchers time to the plate is important, uh, catchers, you know, being smart, watching the game. And in our program, we don't, Coaches don't call nothing. We don't call pitches. We don't call first and thirds, bunt defense. We don't call pickoffs. Our job is to teach Sam how to play the game. And we stay out of it. Now, when, we, when we're base running, you know, we'll, we'll call signs. But most of the stuff is just green light, man. If you want to steal, steal. If you get a bad jump and get thrown out, like, that's how you're going to learn from it, man. One thing about it, there's no coaches here watching right now. So let's get it worked out now. And I think that's a huge part of it. How early are you tracking quality of bats then? Are you starting with your eight-year-olds? Are you tracking quality of bats? Nine-year-olds. Nine well, the eight-year-olds QAB is a little different than once we started at nine. And we start, just slowly start introducing, you know, getting a swing right now as, is a quab for eight-year-olds. Yes. And my eight-year-olds are, are playing uh, they're playing up, playing kid pitch, uh, but they're, they're kind of jumping back and forth between machine pitch and kid pitch. Um, but we have 12 kids on that team and all 12 of them will get out there on the mound. I wouldn't call them pitchers yet. They'll, they'll get out there to the mound and, <clears throat> you know, some of them like it, some of them don't. And like, hey, that's part of it. You, you don't know if you're not going to like it until you get out there and you don't. Some I got one kid that just loves it. He loves the pressure. And I'm like, dude, you're a future pitcher. Uh, so, I mean, it's um, the tracking the quabs is, is a change from because of game changer and, and, and parents want to track that and, so what we've done on all of our game changer is that we take the stats out so parents can't track stats because the stat the stats that you know as well as I do I'm speaking to the choir here, you know some some dad over there doesn't know the difference between a fielder's choice and a hit you know and I'm like that's no that's not, you're, you're tracking the wrong thing, but what about on base percentage? Well, great. So he puts the bat on his shoulder and he walks four times. He has a great on base percentage, but. He doesn't have to swing the bat. So at an eight and, and old, with that, that age group, good luck with a kid converting an out. Like that's the other <laughs> thing too. Like if they put the ball in play, they're going to get yeah. on. Like they can't play yeah. defense yet. 
Yeah, I was watching one of my uh, nine-year-olds over the weekend. I was I was actually coaching him, and uh, the, the opposing kid played third base, fielded the ball, set his feet, and chucked it. It went over the fence, and it hit some dude in the back on the other field. And I walked out. I said, "Hey, man!" I reached out to Patrick. I said, "Way to throw it hard, a little high, but I'd way to throw it hard, man! You, you'll you'll bring it down." And the kid was looking at me like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, that was a great throw, dude. It really was." <laughs> I was in charge of base running last week with, with every level. So it's like five-year-olds on up to 12-year-olds in, in the morning segment was, was base running. And one of the days was, yeah. was ground ball and fly ball tag plays. Uh -huh. And you could tell with the young kids, they just take off. And so I, I brought them in. I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, I know this is a hard concept, I said. but And I know the kids don't catch fly balls at your level right now. But I said at some point, they're going to start catching those fly balls, so you have to go back and tag. So we did a base running defense drill where we had runs at every base. We played bases yeah. loaded, no outs, one out. And they would have to read. So a guy would take a dry swing at the plate, and then he's working home to first. But everybody else is reading either ground ball or fly uh -huh. ball. But in the beginning, as soon as I throw uh -huh. the ball up in the air, we got kids running all over the place. And so we would have to stop, talk about it. And the same yeah. thing, I said, hey, I know your kids yeah. in your league don't catch these fly balls, but they're going to at some point. Yeah. We actually have a drill. It's fun, especially at 10, 11, 12. Uh, we have an infield fly rule day. So the, the whole station I'm running. So in my program, they come in and every 30 minutes, a new team's coming in. And so they're coming to my station. And all I'm teaching is the infield fly. And you know, like so defensively and offensively and and how to understand, you know, like, look, if you drop the ball, that kid's probably going to take off, you know, uh, tag him, go to two, tag him. They're both out. But why can't you? Isn't a force coach? No, no. The runners get to run at their own risk. Automatic so batters out. Batters out. No more force. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to throw it to one. That dude's out, you know, drop third strikes. I mean, I was explaining to drop third strikes to the eight, nine year olds the other day. And he goes, why does he get a run? And then I'm explaining it as drop third strike with two outs, even with a runner occupying one. And they go, well, that don't make no sense. Why does he get to do that with two outs? I said, well, because he's not the third out until you get him out. It is like, it's hard to explain to a nine-year-old to, to get the concept of it. But two like, runners okay. at the same base. We talked about that a little yeah. bit. You know, I'm like, yeah. hey, in your league, this is going to happen a lot. You're going to end up with two mm -hmm. runners at the same base. So who do you tag? And so, yeah. you know, they were getting in an argument. I said, so who's got it? And I'm like, who has the bag established first? So the lead uh -huh. runner has the bag, but tag both of them because yeah. they're both probably going to leave and let the umpire make yeah. the decision. But tag both yeah. of them that they're both probably going to leave. And so you probably get yeah. two outs out of it. Well, I do the same thing. So when when the, when the I tell them, I said, tag the lead guy, tag him and say, you're out. And then, and then when he comes off the bags, tag him again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was the one who's actually still supposed to be safe. You say you're out and tag both of them, but tag him first and go tag both of them and say you're out. And then one of them leaves the bag, tag both of them again. That's for anybody that says baseball's slow. Baseball is not a slow sport. Oh, it's not. It's it not. is not and a I, slow sport. I find that most kids at 15, 16, 17 quit playing a game because it, it's moving too fast. Yes. Uh, it's, it becomes, uh, there's too much to digest. The PPRs become too complex. And, yep. um, like, okay, you just got to look at one thing at a time, read the Simplify situation. It. Simplify yeah. it. It's fast what? for you're big gonna, leaguers. Simplify it. Yep. Yeah. All right, you got a new facility now. I talked to you this week. You're on a backhoe. But when did you decide that, hey, we, we need to, to build a newer facility? About six years ago. It's been a six-year project trying to build this. Uh, going through the uh, – my wife just walked in. She's nodding at me. 
roll our eyes at me, but uh, uh, we bought one piece of land we were going to build there and we went through uh, um, three levels of hell trying to get it built out there with uh, neighbors in the county. And so we, I finally just stripped my hands. We, you know, my family's in the oil business. We actually drilled a gas well on the property. So I had enough natural gas on this place to heat this place for 50 years. Now I can't even use the gas well. So we decided to buy another piece of property and build it here. And, and uh, it, it actually worked out better. You know, I always said the good Lord's, it will take care of you. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very pleased with what we have. It's about a 30, 32,000 square foot uh, indoor facility. It's got a, the, the lanes and stuff will pull back. I got a full infield, full turf infield in there. We do with all kinds of things in, in there with um, having that kind of space. I can pull the nets back and I got dividers down the middle and I got 14 tunnels I can get out of that. Get a lot of individual work. I've got a nice big bullpen area. I've got a big weight room area um, and that. And then uh, building the fields out back because uh, the way our program works, it's hard for me to go to a local rec park and rent fields because it's such a systematic approach to it. So um, that's how I keep my hands on it. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't start this business to become an administrator. I started this business because I want to be a coach. And so I didn't want to get to the point where we have so many teams that I can't, can't know them. You know, there's about 400 kids in here, and I know 90% of them. I know their first names. Um, and I think that's important too. When you started, was it just you? And then you've gradually added coach, just gradually added coaches over time. Yeah. So yeah, my wife, my wife actually talked me into this um, with the experience that I had from coaching high school ball and the, the suicides and wanting to be a transformational coach. She actually, she said, you know, we need to do this. I think you have a, you know, this is your calling. And so this is her fault. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully she's still not in the room. No, she, she took her head out <laughs> giving me that look, you know. Uh, but we work together every day, you know, and um, I mean, it's, it's a lot. You know, we're here seven days a week. You know, we get to leave tomorrow to go to Cancun for my daughter's wedding. So we're like super pumped. We get a, we get a few days off. But uh, uh, then we started uh, the first year. We had three teams. The next year we had 14 teams. And I think a lot, you know, word of mouth was, was, it a, was a big thing. How we how we coached was different. Um, how my parents behaved was different, um, and then the rapport just they kind of spread. And um, you know we're not for everybody. And I, I tell people straight up, we're not a fit for everybody. You might be looking for something. I think the better for. organizations are that way. Like they're they're not going to be a fit for everybody. Just like every college isn't yeah. going to be a fit for yeah. everybody. It's the same yeah. thing. It's, you know, I, I tell my my kids when they're going through the recruiting process, you know, you need to spend some time with a coach. You need to get to know your coach's personality. He or she may not be a fit with they make your personalities may clash. Um, you may be looking for more of a of a transformational style coach, and this guy's more of a transactional coach. It's not saying he's wrong. That's just the way he coaches or she coaches. Um, you know, I've I've had a lot of players that spending time going through that recruiting process is is important. It doesn't need to be stressful. Um, you got time uh, and, and trying to get all this wrapped around them. So, uh, and you're I in a great area for every level of college baseball and softball oh, yeah. too. You have yeah. every, oh, yeah. every option for kids close there, whether it's division yeah. one on down, yeah. you have multiple options in that area yeah. that are going to be fixed yeah. for kids. Yeah. I have, I probably send more kids to, to JUCO and NAIA than I do division one, but a lot of those kids that went that route are, are playing division one, division two. 
I'm like, you, look, you look at it like this. College baseball is college baseball. I know junior colleges out there that are really good. Um, they have good pitching staffs. They're good hitting programs. Um, you know, and so, you can save some money on the front end. Oh, absolutely. Hey, especially a freshman entering entering a division, you know, a four-year school. You know, I was like, well, do you want to go play? Or do you or you just want to go practice and train? And I said, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm, I can't tell you no, but – you know, if but your chances of getting on a Division One field as a freshman, you better be a dude, and you better bring something to the team, and you better take somebody else's spot that somebody's been earning it, um, that they've been there. So you, you got to be patient. Um, you know, go through go through the process, understand the process, be committed to it. I, I mean, I tell you one one I, I got a big pet peeve with with our culture right now, and I call them fence hoppers. And, um, I, you know, I, I tell my kids, I'm like, you look, you, you jump from team to team to team because you're not getting your way. You're not playing shortstop or you're not, you're not batting lead off. You, you are absolutely hurting your kids by pulling them out of those situations and not letting them go through the struggle. Because what happens is they get to college and things don't go their way. The first thing they do is they enter the portal. How many freshmen out there are entering the portal right now? We have nothing to prove that they can play college baseball. They have no college stats. They haven't played any college games. And they're entering this with the wrong mindset. And, and the numbers uh, are starting to come out. Like you knew this was going to happen with the oh, portal, but you had to give it a couple years so the data yeah. starts to come back of how many kids go in the portal and don't have schools yeah. that are yeah. sitting there in the portal because they should have stayed where they were at. Or, 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 or picked a better school or a, a better school for them in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's a, I think that's a big thing is that they, they jump too quick at the first offer they get and they get to their junior year and somebody says, Oh, we got an offer for you. And they go, okay, I'm in. They don't research it. I force my kids to research the town they're going to go to. Dude, you're going to live there. You know, some of my kids that live in the, in the cities up here and they, they want to move to some small town in Texas. I'm like, you're not a small town kid, man. They don't have a movie theater there. You know, There's no Chipotle. <laughs> they have a Casey's. I hope you like Casey's pizza. Uh, Although Casey's breakfast pizza is pretty good. I'll give Casey's. Oh my God. No, shout out to Casey's. Love, shout out to Casey's. Their pizza Casey's is really pizza, good. Man. But I wouldn't want to have it every day. Oh, man. After, well, it's like the old saying goes you eat the same steak every day. You're going to get tired of it. Yep. But, uh, but uh, I, I tell them, I'm like, look, now I, I have some kids that are, that are country kids. I sent them down to a school down in Texas. And, and there was a nice big lake that you could see from the school, the junior college school. Love the coaching staff. Um, the assistant coach's uh, bass boat was parked in front of his house there on campus. And uh, they talked about, uh, you know, hey, every Friday night, you know, when we go fishing during the week or blah, 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 we get big, big, have these big fish fries. And my kid says, I mean, it was nothing about baseball. He's like, we're having fish fries. We get to go fish it. I mean, the kid was a good ball player. He's like, I'm in. I and and for faith-based like kids too, like that. that's a if, – if you have a faith – faith-based kid like they need to probably go to a faith-based school because it's gonna it's gonna fit them better your kids that aren't faith-based they probably shouldn't go to a faith-based school it's not part of their culture which is fine there's there's right fits for everybody yeah i have a really good relationship with ryan dupik who's the uh, head coach i love ryan he bits for me at iowa oh my god he's uh he's an awesome dude shout out to dupe dupe you're you're a wonderful human being ryan yeah and sorry, uh, sorry you had to play with me in those for me in those early years at Iowa. I apologize, because <laughs> I'm I'm was a little I'm I'm rough at times. So, 
but I, I love Ryan. I've seen a bunch of kids up there and it's a, it's a good school. He's a good coach. He's got a good transformational mindset. He understands the development process of it. He's very fair. He's very honest. All these things that I like about him. So I, you know, I don't push a school onto a player, but when they start asking me, who's my favorite coach, I said, well, these, these, these 15 guys are some of my favorite coaches. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids in Kansas city want to go South. And I'm like, why, why do you go South for you? know, you're accustomed to playing this weather. Um, you know, there's good programs in Indiana and Ohio and Iowa. There's good schools up. It's good baseball, man. Yeah. Do you want to go play in 95? Like that, that's a different deal too. If you're not acclimated. Yeah. Just like you got to get acclimated to play in the cold. You got to get acclimated to play in the heat too. Yeah. Every year we go down to Florida and we play uh, the prospect select a bit down there, the Palm Palm Beach classic. So it's a nice big event, but it, it, it it opens the kids' minds. Like, do you want to play down here? It's, it's humid like this. We also go to Phoenix. We play some uh, stuff out there, some showcases out there. And I'm like, look, if I had my choice between the humidity and the dry heat desert, I'm going down to Phoenix every day of the week. Now I can take this heat, but I can't take that heat. You know, and being being a Midwesterner, um, you know, then I ask a lot of kids, you know, kids when they're sophomores and juniors, you know, they, they're they big bachos, you know, oh, I'm ready to get away from the house. I want to move to, I want, you know, have, I want to go to the West Coast, East Coast. I'm like, yeah, you say that now until – until your parents day. can't ever watch you play. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, I and you may be able to come home at Thanksgiving, maybe not. And you're coming home at yeah. Christmas and, and mm-hmm. seeing your family in Christmas in August. And that's oh. about it. How, when you, when you were coaching college, uh, how, how much you have to put up with the freshman homesick blues? It's the first two weeks. That was, yeah. and yeah. That, that's why we spent a lot of time with them the first two weeks. I knew that if we could get them through those first two weeks, they were probably going to have a chance. And and I've said this a lot too, like every college student is homesick the first two weeks. Every college student is homesick mm-hmm. the first two weeks. Yeah. Your environment gets, gets thrown out of whack. You don't know where anything is. Yeah. You know, luckily if you play on a sports team, you're going to have some built in peer group that you can hang out with so it does help but it was really those first two weeks we tried to spend as much time with them as we could just to get them over that the hump of the first two weeks yeah i i really plug the the junior colleges around here to my to my program the baseball and softball i'm like look you know just take small steps life's built of small steps not not elevators and just take a small step towards this and then but once you get acclimated to a college life and then you're then you're ready to move out, it makes it so much easier. I've had a lot of kids that that and that first two weeks, boy, they're calling me up, coach, man, I'm really what do I do? What do I do? And I said, Well, go find some of your teammates, go find something to do. You know, uh, there's you know, go talk to your coach. <laughs> I'm not your coach anymore, but talk to your coach. He's dealt with a lot of kids just like you. You know, so go, go ask for help. It's the old term, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Like it's, it's the same thing. One bite at a time. Yep. 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 Hey, and you're one of our original ABCA travel committee members, by the way, Yes. you know, guys are starting to rotate off, but you're one of our originals. And honestly, you guys are a huge reason why on the youth and travel side, our membership have grown so much like you know that that's where we're growing the most is on the youth and travel side Mm -hmm. and it has a lot to do with those two committees honestly yeah yeah well i think that every call every coach out there from baseball and softball should get involved with the organization go to the convention 
And there's a lot of people that don't go to the convention. They have no idea what they're missing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a candy store. I mean, for every year I go down, I've been coaching 33 years and I sit out there and those, those talks and I'm still taking notes. Some of the stuff that they're, that they're saying, I completely agree with some of the stuff I go, man, I don't necessarily agree hundred percent with that, but I'm going to listen. Uh, I think it opens up our minds and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, in, uh, as coaches, there's a lot of uh, arrogance in it. I think that being at that will really humble you. And then every year I come back, I have something new to bring back to my program. In the, in the kids and the coaches, they, what, what did you find this year? I'm like, oh, man, I got this. Let's do this, you know. I love going to the uh, – walking around the uh, – uh, all the, the vendors and stuff set up there. And, uh, I mean, I spend all day there. Every year I go down, I always take a series of coaches with me. I mean, I had three this year uh, that went down with me. But um, I really push it on to my – my guys, I'm like, look, you need to be a, there's benefits to this. Be a part of it. Be a part of something bigger than yourself. Be a part of an, of a community of coaches that are like-minded people and listen to what everybody's saying. Because the thing I like about the organization is that we don't keep secrets from each other. We share things, um, you know, in the NFCA is the same way, man. They, they share everything. You can walk, I can walk up to coach Murphy and just have a very humble conversation Tim Corbin, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many times I've met him at the convention and uh, Coach Corbin will say, hey, coach, how's it going? I'm like, you got to see that Coach Corbin just said hi to me. You know, I, just, I give other coaches crap. Uh, but when you just ask him questions and just be humble and honest, you know, uh, I think it's I think it's a huge part. Do you have I, a fail I, forward I, moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you? Is starting advanced baseball a fail forward moment? No, um, I got out of the music business at uh, 35, and um, I just kind of felt like this is my, I mean, this has been my calling. I mean, I started coaching in 1990 when I got out of college ball myself, and and even when I was a touring artist, I, I still coached. When did you know you were done with the music industry? I My, my situation was a little different. My uh, I was divorced, and my two boys um, needed me. Um, my, my wife had, my ex-wife had a mental illness and it was time for me to take over. And so in order for me to get custody, I needed to step away. And to this day, I have a hard time really listening to music because it, the music industry, the music is more of your soul and your heart. So there's a lot of memories there, um, from that. I, I don't regret any of it. I take those experiences and, you know, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I have no problem with public speaking. I mean, part of the crowds that I entertain, but as a musician, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> so it, it plays off to it. How do you find time for yourself with, with your schedule, with you and your wife? I mean, how do you guys find time for, for yourselves? Um, we, we like during the daytime, um, my wife and I spend, you know, pretty much every day with each other. You know, she has her role. I have my role. Um, we go out for lunch every day. Um, you know, during this time of year, there's times where, you know, once the high school guys get out for summer ball, then I'm running practices and training for them guys. But, uh, we, we, we make time for that, uh, that way. Um, but honestly, I mean, we see each other here. I, you know, my, my grandfather was a world war II veteran. I got a plaque behind me. That's my grandpa's world war II stuff. So I'm a, he told me two things growing up, um, you know, find something you love to do and figure out a way to get paid to do it. Um, and so I've lived by that. I really don't feel like I really work a day, you know? I mean, 
we went out building fence or hanging pipe or stuff like that. It's just, I mean, I enjoy it. And it doesn't really feel like work. You know, I, I, I wake up every day going, I get to help kids today. What are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that I didn't? I, I think that, um, um, I think the mental health of, of all you sports right now needs to have a, a makeover. I think we really need to dive into it. I, I don't think we need to, to make a big deal of it. I think it needs to be incorporated in our training. I think we need to think about the things we say to our kids before we say them. Um, I think there's, there's too much emphasis on winning uh, at all costs. I still see it. I seen it this weekend. That's still an ego uh, thing for me with parents. Like they 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 put all their eggs in their kids' performance, so they feel bad if their kids aren't performing mm-hmm. well. I still think that's an ego from the parents thing. The parents yeah. that that aren't putting all their eggs in their kids' basket and putting everything on mm-hmm. them, those parents don't act this way. It's the parents that no. that are trying to to get gratification from how their kids mm-hmm. do in their activities, mm-hmm. let those kids' activities be their activities. And by the way, if they don't do well, it doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't make you a bad no. parent if your kid's not performing well in, in sports or whatever activity they're doing. It doesn't make you a bad parent. My, my wife and I formed another company called the Impact Institute of Sports Performance. We formed it with um, a couple of friends of ours, uh, Todd Johnson, coached here since he was, his kids were 12, 12, 12 years. Um, and uh, in this, we've created a formula to help parents, coaches, and, and athletes become an impact player. Impact to us means something different. It's our recipe for uh, perfectionism. It's our recipe toward a growth mindset. Um, so in we, we've put together a we're, – we're filming some stuff right now to put together a training program uh, to help parents step back and not try to relive their, their childhood through their kids, do the things that they didn't get to do, the opportunities that they might have missed. Uh, so IMPACT is an acronym for in, in, integrity, motivation, positive, accountability, courage, and time. And so that we, we train, we use that system here all the time. We've had seven years to experiment with it, and we've seen great results from it. Um, and so part of that, I think that, you know, the mental health of it is is huge. So all the stuff that we win, all the scholarships that we've got handed out, you know, the kids just went on to play in collegiate sports. I'm I'm more proud of of uh, the kids that we've helped along the way. I might get choked up here a little bit. Good, bear with me. But over the, over the past um, 13 years, uh, our kids that we've trained in a bold program and with the impact mindset they've intervened in about 75 suicides outside of the program um, by being able to recognize things, stopping bullying. Um, you know, in our program, we, you, you don't have an option. You see the bullying going on. You, you know, we're going to educate you. These are some things you can do. It does. It doesn't need to happen. It needs to stop. Um, I, I'm more proud of that than I am anything else. Um, so how do you address that with the bullying part? I, Again, with social media, that's why the suicide rates have gone up because it's way easier for kids to bully each other now. Um, you know, how are you addressing that with your with your players on both sides, the Very, softball and baseball and, and, players? But the, the softball players, I mean, the the girls are brutal. 
I mean, the, the, the boys have it easy on the bullying side compared to the girls. And I didn't realize that. So we started really putting together our softball program. Um, man, it's, I it's went big. to public school. You want to see a fight, watch, watch women fight each other. You want to see oh a fight? God. Great well, school. I went to, you know, not rough, rough, but it was rough. We had inner city kids and mm-hmm. those were the worst fights I yeah. ever saw were with the women fighting each other. Yeah. They, um, they, the, the psychological things they do to them is just, is crazy. There was a girl back in the East coast of Maryland, I believe this year, a 15 year old girl took her own life because of the bullying going on at school and on social media. And so I tell the kids, I'm like, you know, why do you need TikTok? You know, what, why do you need Snapchat? You know, if, if these things are going on, block them. Um, so the, the, the abuse that they, that the bullying they see at school, um, you know, it's like, look, you have a, you have options. You have, you're not alone. Uh, so if you're getting bullied, this is how you should handle it. And we have different stages, you know, different steps and choose one of them. If you're witnessing bullying, I tell you, you're, you're no different than the bully. If you're not doing something, you're allowed to, you're a participant in it. You are, if you don't say something, you're, you're a participant. Silence is, is you're, you're just as guilty with your silence. Yeah. Two of my kids, uh, two of my 13 year old boys, Ben was a catcher. Zach was a pitcher. Ben was huge. And uh, we showed them some techniques on how to intervene with it. And they was in school one day and they seen it happening. Ben stepped between the bully and the, and the victim. And he stepped between was, Hey, what's going on? Meanwhile, Zach grabbed the kid and pulled him out of the situation and walked him to his classroom. Zach was telling him, Hey man, don't stand there and take that. Just walk off from him, you know, report it. But Ben stepped there and he goes, Hey man, won't you, he goes, Oh man, we're just having some fun with him. He goes, well, it looked to me like you're bullying him because I don't think he liked it. If you like to pick on somebody, pick on me. They go, no, no, Ben, we're cool. We're cool. Same day, they witnessed it again at the lunch table, and they took this kid underneath their wing, and they said, from now on, you're sitting at our table with us. And um, so they become friends with him. This kid had moved here from Colorado, and um, he didn't have any friends. In two years he'd been here, he kept sending out birthday invitations. Somebody showed up to his birthday. Ben and Zach were the first two that showed up to his birthday. I got an email back from the mom, and he was seeing two therapists, and he was the kid was suicidal at 13 years old. Uh, because of the torment he's going through after Ben and Zach kind of took him under their wing, changed his life. That incident also changed Ben and Zach's life. Ben ended up joining the military. I mean, he got, he felt that need to protect people. And uh, Zach went on the same thing, but Zach went on to be a school counselor. And uh, so all of his college training was all to be a school counselor. So you never know how you're going to influence a kid and how what you teach them is going to impact them further down the road. You know, and so, I mean, I would have never guessed Ben, you know, joining the military and joining the army and stuff. And, and he's, he's a, he's a great guy now and, and God bless him, you know, and same with Zach and that kid that his life is that, I mean, they completely changed that kid's life because they stepped in and did something. So we, we share those stories about how little things matter uh, during our bowl classes. And a lot of those stories are being told by our bold ambassadors as the instructor of the program, our instructors are talking about different things that's, you know, you can do, here's some techniques to use. And and because we're not a school, we're not bound by any kind of political thing. It's pretty much straight talk. Um, I don't beat around the bush. You've known me long enough. I pretty much just say like I see it. So we're not, um, not always politically correct. You know, there's ways to handle things and there's ways not to handle things. And so I tell them too, I'm like, Talk to your parents about it. What do they want you to do? 
you know, how, how they want you to handle certain situations. When you witness, uh, you, if you're on Facebook and you see some kid crying out for help, you see some kid is threatening suicide, do something. Find a way to reach out to that kid's parents and say, hey, your kid's going on posting this stuff. The kid may just be wanting attention from uh, friends, but it also may be serious. You don't it's know. Cry and you're for not, help. You're not a, Again, you, you're not yeah. a professional. If you see a cry for help, then then reach back yeah. out. Yeah, Luke's, yeah. Luke, thanks so much for your time, man. It was awesome. Love it. So, yeah. Brian, I really enjoyed it, bud. Anytime. Yeah. I'm really impressed with how Luke is taking matters into his own hands to help train his players in suicide and bully prevention. He's a shining example of positively affecting change in your community. I love what Advanced Baseball Academy is doing for their softball and baseball players. Thanks again to Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the My ABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Singing, baby, you set me free.